Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Jimmy and I are going to be doing some traveling in a very short, uh, in very short order. October 6th through 9th, we're going to be at Cartoon Crossroads Columbus in Ohio. And uh, the 28th through 30th, we are going to be at Baltimore Comic Con. Jimmy's going to be at the Jacksonville Public Library uh, for a zine fest, October 22nd. October is Kayfabe-tober, and you guys need your drawing prompts this year, man. So we've put a, a list together that we're very happy with, and we cannot wait to see what you guys produce using these prompts. Uh, on Instagram, make sure you tag us, you know, with the hashtag. On Twitter, you can at us, and we will be able to see the stuff that you uh, post with these prompts, and we're going to uh, reshare as much of this stuff as possible. The channel is brought to you by the books that we make. So on the stands now, Jimmy has... Incredible Hulk Grand Design Monster in Madness, which is going to be collected in a Treasury Edition uh, size. Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive is back in print, so make sure you get your hands on that. Out this week, man, I just did a signing yesterday as of this recording for Red Room Trigger Warnings Issue 1. Thanks to everybody who stepped out and, and, and saw that. Red Room uh, Anti-Social Network is on the stands as we speak also, so grab both Red Rooms, but they are self-contained, so you can enjoy them uh, singularly, no problem. We're done paying those bills, man. So let's get to the video, Jimmy. Max Immortal, seven issues, I believe. Is, yes. Is that the case? Coming out from a collab between King Hell Press, which would just be Rick Veach's own enterprise, and Tundra, the Kevin Eastman company. I was looking at, uh, it might have even been, no, no, no. I, it, I was going to say, maybe it was in that Howard Chaikin TCJ, but I've been going through a lot of TCJs after busting out that Chaikin interview with Michelle Fife. And uh, in the early 90s, Tundra would clean up at the award ceremonies and stuff like that. Like like the Eisners and the Harveys and things. Like the books that Tundra put together were very well re received. Yeah, I was thinking about that this week. And it's like, Tundra, I think, I know a lot of people that, that use it as a butt of a joke, right? It, it just, it burned bright. They spent a lot of money. Yeah. And in comic circles, especially indie comics, that's sort of a, a point of derision. But man, the books that they put out are really stellar. Like yeah. anytime I see a Tundra logo on a book, I, I pick it up because one, there aren't very many, yeah. but they were of a high quality. And I was thinking of Rick Veach. He did like, he did all of Brat Pack under Tundra. So like 12 books in the couple of years that Tundra was active, Rick Veach was not, uh, it, there was no, no moss collecting under him. You know, like that dude was working. Yeah, everybody who put out their books by Tundra gets a lot of respect because... Uh, famously, a lot of cartoonists they took the money and ran. Uh, it, it it was it was Kevin Eastman's attempt to try to create this pie in the sky, co comics making utopia. Where, guess what, guys, you're going to get paid. Congratulations, man! You've been working your ass off in the indie circuit or at the mainstream, doing work for hire, and you have no rewards beyond the check that you get. You know, for with for your work for hire or whatever. So, you're going to get an advance, man. I'm hooking you up with some loot, and we're not going to do that bullshit. Random house type thing, man, where you get like a third, a third, and a third. I'm going to give you some money, man. <laughs> Random house might be right in history. Huh? huh? Random house's process might be right historically. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we see what happens when you give uh, certain guys a bunch of stuff. But Eastman's a classy cat because he doesn't name names. And he's out a lot of loot. And there are no books to show for it from a lot of people, man. So when you see that one of these books actually comes out, that means that this person, this cartoonist, is a, a man of their word. And, you know, actually saw, saw the gig what it was for. Said it before. I will say it again. Rick Veach is one of my all-time favorite comic makers. Probably top five. 
his his art style is is rawer than what a lot of people enjoy like when they scoop up books off the shelf uh but his entire package uh in terms of what he makes it's hard to beat for me man especially you know if you're trying to wean yourself off of superhero type comics and try to move into more uh, of a literate space this is a good bridge to get you to uh, more independent comics that's how i got to it because it was before i had these are this is from my collection of back in the day ordered through the mail so yeah. like a tundra catalog or kitchen sink tundra catalog something along those lines black hole would have been a book that i ordered through that catalog at some point sure. so like maybe probably after it was out probably 94 95 I would see them in, in Wizard, you know, in Palmer's Picks. Thank you, Tom Palmer Jr., a million times for the books you showed me. Because otherwise, I'm probably leaving comics. Sure. I had gone through the cycle of the Marvel DC stuff. I had gone through that first year or two of Image Comics. And it was great in the moment. But it also wasn't like, I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life. It was kind of like, all right, I've read two years of Image. I'm done with them. If I don't find this stuff, like, there, you know, I had to find something else to feed the comics. And that was these pre-comic book shop for me mail order and i mean that it's expensive books like this is a four dollar book in 19 you know whenever it was published 93 i believe and again i probably got it 94 95 but that was a lot of a lot of money for me yeah i have the uh the trade paper back here that was uh, self-published by rick veach in uh the later mid 90s 96 or so is when i i discovered this this piece because there was still a back issue market also like you said this is four dollars like brand new uh it retained their value if if not rising in value for a period of time when the back issue markets were, were still very robust in comic shops and things. So it was prohibitively expensive. The wild thing now is that I have these issues got them in quarter bins. Yeah. So that's the world that we live in today. What a great cover. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to go through this stuff, man. <laughs> now, Jimmy, we've, uh, we did Brat Pack previously. Mm -hmm. I'll link that video in the description uh, below this video. And I had the trade paperback of that as well that was published around the same time. And we went through your issues. I sat with the with the TPB to see what was different. I'm going to have you do that because because uh, Rick Veach, is still, he still sculpts his work afterward. That, that was evidence that he still sculpts the material for the, the book collection. So I'm going to have you keep an eagle eye on the uh, trade paperback. But it is in black and white. Um, certainly it was that era where it's just, it was far cheaper. We weren't printing in China as much back then, so uh, color was very prohibitively expensive back in those days. But for the purposes of our video, it's just more sexy to look at color, man. People like uh, just to see a color treatment. So if you don't mind, you'll go through that. I think it's noteworthy too. He has a collaborator. You see the Sam Parsons. That's yeah. your colorist, I believe, on here. Um, doing a lot of different stuff stylistically if you think of brat pack as like washes and stuff you know printed in black and white but having a lot of the gray scaling this one hard black and white line work mm -hmm. and then color but that hard black and white white line work when you see max immortal next to brat pack different look yeah. you know even if even the black and white versions uh vary quite a bit from one to the other yeah so he had this uh, sprawling idea of uh king king hell heroica it was gonna be like a five book set of stuff Max Immortal, can I see that TPB real quick? Also love the logo. Max Immortal is uh, book one of King Hell Heroica. Uh, Brad Pack was like something like book four, book, book three. Okay, yeah, book four. Mm -hmm. Veach is now doing Boy Max Immortal uh, and putting them out through through Amazon print on demand service. So you, there are three volumes of this out there, uh, and you could you could scoop those up right right this minute, ten bucks a pop. But he lays out the various 
books in the King Hell Heroica, and this Boy Maximortal stuff is is book book three. And then there will be one more book that's about um, the sort of intermingling with Maximortal and Brat Pack that sort of is the culmination of everything. Yeah, what a crazy cycle. Yeah, I think of planning that thing out 30 years ago, and you're still working on it today. I love it, man. It's 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 beautiful. And then you don't put out book one, book two. You go you go for the the pops, right. and then that allows the diminishing returns, which <laughs> is inevitable, to uh, still be reasonably high. So, dude, let's jump into things. This is going to be a real treat for me because I I didn't really uh, pay too too much attention to the color version uh, ever, even though. They're sitting in the long boxes at this point. I like the color. Um, you know, I assume that's a blue line method because you sure. can see it's very modeled. This is not digital color, so I think you're going to see a variety of media in this color as we go along. Probably markers and paint and maybe color pencil. Yeah. And uh, we start off in uh, Siberia, 1908, Tungus. I was actually reading about this. Yeah, man, this where... is one of those great historical unexplained incidents. Yeah, yeah. Is it unexplained? I thought it was just an asteroid hits the Earth, man. And there's like a 12 megaton explosion. I don't think explosion. there's a meteor, there's no meteor crash site. Uh, so like maybe that's, you know, I, I don't think it's satisfactory, okay. the explanation. Well, here's the facts of the matter. But it's it, one it, of those fun to read about. Yeah. In real life, there was a 12 megaton explosion in, in Tungus, Siberia in 1908. And Veach is weaving it into our narrative here to explain a potential possibility of what happened uh, back in those days. Rick Veach, Cold War Baby. This is a Cold War comic. This is a strange comic. Sure. I, I, I asked you before we came on the air, like, how would you how would you describe this to somebody? Because there's so much stuff going on. Like we see this set up in Russia as I don't know, a, a history of like a supernatural, possibly extraterrestrial origin of this Superman. Yeah. Is this a woolly mammoth that gets thawed out? That's from right. The explosion? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it goes in so many different directions. Like you mentioned the Cold War stuff, which is a huge part of it and feels like that's part of the superhero mythology. It really is almost a um, a retelling of if all the superhero comics were sort of the reality and we were going to now write the history book about it. Sure. In a weird way, that's Max Immortal. Yeah, yeah. And in a very big way, in a very real way, this comes off the hills of Rick Veach leaving DC Comics over the famous Jesus Swamp Thing uh, incident that uh, you could see those Michael Zulli pages online if you if you look deep enough, man. So so he had Rick Veach was a salty dog about that that whole setup, man, and it and it fucked a lot of things up creatively. I think I think that uh, Neil Gaiman was was going to be writing Sandman after Veach's storyline, and and he Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing, uh, yes, and after. Uh, Rick Veach did his final story. Gaiman decided not to participate in that. Stay, stay where you know he had more control. Uh, it was famous, and Rick Veach is definitely exercising some demons in the Max Immortal because this is a DC-centric roast. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned at the beginning how Tundra is this like utopian creator space. Yeah, it isn't just that the payment's good or the production values are good. It's also the creative freedom. It's true. So if you're coming out of like, I just got burnt by DC editorial, this is part of that utopian vision. Right. I can do whatever comics I want here. Yes. And you can see it, right? Like some twisted Max Immortal woman naked running around penises. You know, like this is stuff that you're not getting any of this at DC. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the wildest, like heavy metal type comic. It is. Yeah. Heavy metal is a good analogy. And look at that birthing sequence, man. In the in the proper proper position for uh, old school childbirth, 
pulls out that little fetus. That's yeah, another little thing. Too, another thing that's had uh, stirred up some trouble by this point, right? With, with Rick Miracle Veach, <laughs> with Rick Veach himself, man, he's a rebel rouser. I think the uh, heavy metal is a good note because we we've heard these guys talk about heavy metal being important to them. You know, they're at Kubert School in the late '70s, and heavy metal showing up. And every now and then, like I feel like you'll see line art and landscapes in here that are very reminiscent of that, that type of work. They've done they've done work for that magazine, and certainly for Epic Illustrated, which was the Marvel version of of heavy metal. So. You know they're they're of that cut. This is, man, it's too bad we don't have Tommy here because because I feel like Satan Soldier might be mixed up in in as a piece of inspiration from from uh, from Max Immortal. She creates this like little little net shell around the fetus and just lugs yeah. it, throws it into tosses orbit. that shit into space. It's now a satellite. I like this man where it's like salutations, man, and then leaves Earth, gaping hole. Let's cut a decade ahead, man, to Ma and Pa Kent, right? Yep. You got a couple of hayseeds in the middle of nowhere who got sold some magic beans, or in this case, some bullshit land that has no gold on it. Yeah, they look pretty good for having worked this uh, goldless land for two years. <laughs> I'm surprised their clothes aren't just rags at this point. There's uh, When Veach was doing Two-Fisted Zombies and stuff like that era with his brother Tom, rest in peace Tom, I've seen photos of Rick Veach from that period, and and this is him. Like like he had the Wolverine chops, dude. Nice. It was the first time I ever saw like somebody have Wolverine chops, uh, and not be inspired by Wolverine. How about that car, dude? And it's called a Kent, which is mm -hmm. no uh, accident. Great color. Yeah, I really admire seeing these in black and white because I've always just had this color version. I don't have a black and white one, so going through the line art. Gives me almost a new appreciation for his composition and that, panels and that, stuff. That's exactly what I'm going through myself with with, with the color treatment. So that uh, orbiting satellite egg gimmick, uh, potentially, it was a fetus. So right. it had to go into orbit to gestate a little bit. And now it got heavy enough to come back, crash onto land. And uh, I wonder if Steve Bissett was inspired by it. We saw that birthing sequence. We see the egg crack. That was about <laughs> four issues of Tyrant. That's right. Wrapped up. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is that thing too where uh, there's probably not much reference uh, for super muscular baby back uh, back in those days. Like the truth is that you could have had reference a couple of years later if you remember little Hercules who would show up on uh, Howard Stern show, a little five year old that was super cut and had big muscles, looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but was a little boy. Uh, she looks, mom looks like, uh, Mick Jagger right there, by the way. <laughs> you know, the, the muscular baby though, if you're thinking of this as like a history of superhero comics, that is how, I mean, how many comics have we laughed at where like, okay, I can draw an adult man and an adult woman, but I'd never learned to draw the kids. Right. So you get this kind of figure. It's almost a poking fun of it. Totally, man. And this is, this is the Veach exercise of kind of thinking through the origin of Superman a little bit more. So if the kid can pick up cribs and pick up pick up your couch and things, and he's very, very immature, maybe he really isn't relaxing with you. I got nieces and nephews, and they punch the hell out of me. Yes. So what happens if the kid packs a wall up? That is so true. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> And, and it's the classic shit, dude. There, there's the image, you know, like in Action Comics 1, when they're explaining Superman's origin, you see that, you see that image. They take a look at those toes, man, and it might look like 
mom took a little thalidomide for her morning sickness before <laughs> before the baby got born. Look at this thing. Man, it's so he's, odd. He's, he's so muscular when he's walking around. <laughs> I wish the head was a little bit bigger. That's even. all like, that we like, need. Like the chibi style, but with a super muscular, that bo that body's perfect. That's all it would need to kind of like uh, sell you on it. And he's got that very like Greek statue hair. Yes. So Pops is trying to discipline the boy a little bit because he's walking through walls. You know, this is beyond that episode of Twilight Zone with little Billy Moomy who mm -hmm. can think thoughts and turn you to a jack-in-a-box. Because this boy is uh, on a tear of rampant destruction when he doesn't get his way. And he will chomp your finger off. Yeah, and that's a right hand. So for all the uh, cartoonists at home that are right-handed, <laughs> this is like the very traumatic sequence. <laughs> Do you ever practice uh, for, for those possible... Uh, contingencies man try drawing with your uh, middle finger <laughs> no, or something I, like that <laughs> i've done a little bit of left-handed drawing attempts but uh yeah if i lose that pointer finger on my right hand my comics are gonna suffer yeah get into the writing game <laughs> maybe Ma the ai art game <laughs> uh, mama has that maternal touch the little boy you know he's not really causing much much ruckus with her and we see this motif a few times, this graphic in the eyeball, whenever he's, like, activating this super destructive, I don't know, laser vision or whatever. Yeah. Um, I like that piece. It's uh, totally geometric. I don't know what that is. It's very clean, so maybe it's a drawing that Rick created and then, like, photocopied so he could use it in different places. Yeah. But it adds, like, this other element to an organic line. It does, yeah. It, it, it very nearly is that nuclear fallout like trefoil in yeah. a way it feels like a uh, a movie special effect from the time period mom and pa fighting for custody eventually little boy jumps on top of a pops and starts uh riding him like a bronco pulling his face wait till you see them next time yeah and if we're sticking with the comic book analogy of this you know yeah. superheroes this is our first act of what superheroes have done throughout the history of comics you know the legacy of burn creators of uh wrongs you know like they this creature burns down their homestead you know it's literally the most destructive thing they could do at this time especially early land owners it's so destructive and it's kind of like what are what is this comic saying about superheroes and, and that that genre and right. the history of it mom's a very uh, religious person so when Mama Maximortal come, comes comes to Earth man, to, to just take a look and see how progress is being made with the boy. She sees that as like a harbinger. It's a, it's an angel. Yeah, totally. She's also a virgin, so this is like her way of, of being a mother. Yeah, another tie into that religious piece, which again feels like, yeah, this comes out of the guy that got kicked off Swamp Thing or left Swamp Thing because yeah. he couldn't do a story about Jesus. Yeah, no way that Rick Veach didn't color th this cover all by himself, man. This is totally his his earmarks all over this with airbrush, white spatter, things like like we we know what this. I I uh, I credit him with all these covers because there's yeah. the only his is the only signature I see on them, and we have seen him do a lot of cool color work, so yeah. it feels like yeah, that's that's what he does. This is a time saver, to to have somebody else in the mix, man. Can we uh, introduce uh, El Guano into the mixture? Yeah, would you consider him the bad guy, the arch rival? If there's going to be one. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't exactly know completely how he fits in in a lot of ways. Uh, when you get to the sequence, man, like, you start to get kind of excited in a way where we just saw Superman's origin, so is this Batman's origin? Uh, <laughs> but if it is, it's uh, a far departure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if this is a Batman tie and it's pretty critical. 
It's certainly a magic piece, you know, like adding some magic to what we're going to see kind of as a, I don't know, a science will also be a big part of this. So it's a lot of 20th century pieces stirring together for this story. For people of uh, my generation, it would be Ace Ventura, which taught you what guano was, which is bat feces. (laughs) All right, man, we saw we saw a little uh, Maxim Wordle riding his dad like a bucket bronco. Well, here's some results of uh, their their little uh, trip. Pops is a little worse for the wear, fully scalped, uh, getting chunks ripped out of him, no teeth, face getting mashed. Yeah, it sucks that, that it's your head that he's using. Like, get that switch on the backside to make you move a little bit faster, because, man, your head is not built for that kind of uh, treatment. In the 90s, I like to think, like, in the 90s, uh, on all the, like, magazine shows and, and, and Ripley's Believe It or Not and stuff, they would do this thing, like, they took the skull cap off, of, they would take a skull cap off a guy in like a, a surgical room and they would have these like little numbers. They would put these like little plastic numbers all over a guy's brain and the guy was conscious and and they would be like, what's what's three plus three? He'd be like six. And then they would push on like number six and 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 be like, okay, what's three plus three? And he'd be like, orange or like you know like it was like just showing you like the different parts of the brain and this is like i don't know if it was revolutionary at the time or or they they gained a new understanding of brains but it was like on all the tv shows that that would have that kind of shit and i like to think that little max immortal was hitting certain things to keep that guy's motor responses moving (laughs) and at a certain point he's like look we're flying so dad dad is fully dead here you know he's he's got him in the leg scissors He's choking him out. The face is purple. Yeah, I mean, you're lifting a dude up by by his head. Yeah. That's a pretty tight grip around the neck. <laughs> Simple town, California. The townspeople all have head gimmicks. So we established the head wound thing. And now we're showing a whole lot more. And this town is riddled with it. And guess what? Mama lives in that town. Yeah, coming home. If we're going to diss creator, like, you know, if we're going to diss DC and we're going to talk about creator rights and stuff, why not include a Walt Disney type character into the mix? And that's who we have here with Ballis Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't call him that. (laughs) Not to his face. Who's doing some aerial dogfight shit to try to try to uh, get into the movie business. What a spectacular two-page spread in terms of draftsmanship and creating a really attractive compositions. I love this, but it's I, he moves the eye so well, Veach, yeah. through his compositions, and there's no dull, nothing is dull. No. Yeah, absolutely not, man. And, he, man, he had a lot of cool enemy ace comics to look at, too. Like, there's no excuse for a Kubert student to be fucking this part of. Yeah. Especially of his era. Wallace had to uh, had to eject, dude, because a lot of these pilots showing up with their heads heads cut off, and it was Maxim Mortal who did it, collecting his heads, doing farming, as the boy says. <laughs> Fills up the dude's parachute so that he can land, but he doesn't land unscathed. It's a very like it's a jackass maneuver, or like Three Stooges, where the balls bury the brunt of about five different impacts, including. Yeah. Is that a pot belly stove? <laughs> yeah. So his yeah. shits get boiled. Yeah, that, Curry that, oysters. Uh, that, that name is well earned, the ballist. How about that for drawing, like, your shoot's not open, so you're free-falling? Like, yeah. drawing his, his sleeve in such a weird way. Right. I would never think of that in a million years. But you see, you know what it is when you see it, mm-hmm. you know? 
The only difference is you probably, like, the face does that also. Another great, just talk about directional devices honing in on, on Wallace's face. Yeah. And he talks about seeing, like, headless fucking pilots and shit and doesn't think that the people believe him, but they damn sure do because the citizens of that town are showing up headless. And <laughs> here comes Mom, <laughs> Pa, Kent showing up. And... Man, is that ridiculous. Eyeball hanging out. They're going to take that guy to the hospital. Because he he's bleeding out, man. That's a femoral artery down there by the junk piece. Catch that glimpse of Maxim Wordle doing his farm and keeping heads in the silo. Yeah, and you also get the glimpse of the uh, what, what the locals have planned for him in their wagon full of TNT. Yeah, the dude with the freaking fuse, he catches Rick. Gets his head chopped, and it gives you the opportunity for Rick Veach to draw a bunch of rain and heads. You ever read about that, like, meat incident from the early 1900s where it was, like, raining meat? No. It's, it's like, the inspiration for the, for the Crumb comic Meatball, where I think what they decided was it was some, like, vultures that were eating meat. They somehow, something happened up there, and, you know, they regurgitated meat all over. Like, it's, it, you could read about it. Yeah. I know there's those weird, like, uh, frogs and stuff's another one that, that there are incidents. And fish, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Raining fish? Yeah. And frogs? Wow. What a wondrous world. <laughs> <laughs> Max Mortal reuniting with uh, Mom and Dad. Mom puts him back in his little sack. Because they realize, it was established in that first issue, that when that boy is near that, that uh, little um, asteroid that he came in, it just puts him out. Right. It's the only way to kind of chill. That's his kryptonite, essentially. Guano shows up with his magic magic turds. Kryptonite. <laughs> we'll get to that. Amazing. But you see our, our Wallace character recognizes, like, there's power here. Yes. Or value. Yeah. And and tries to get away, basically, with Max Immortal in that egg, recognizing right away that this, this is the gold mine. Yeah. But guess what, man? The feds are showing yes, up. Yes, of course. In, in the in the guise of Doughboys, which is certainly what would happen, right? Like, the the, oh, the, yeah. the, the government is taking that. 100%. Like, cable TV was invented in, in the middle of Pennsylvania by just some dude who had a TV shop and ran a wire. He had owned a lot of land near a TV store, like where you had the vacuum tubes and stuff. He owned a lot of land in a big hill. And he sold a service where he put a big antenna up on top of the biggest hill and would run wires to different houses because it would get the clearest reception of the local stations plus he could promise you getting other stations right. when the feds found out about that like the fcc like all of that was like you know what we'll handle that from now on i was going to reference kecksburg very close to where we're at yeah that's the uh the, the crashed something in the middle of the night and the feds did they were on top of it very fast <laughs> <laughs> what do we have here jimmy 1924, man, just continuing to move forward as, as we go through. And this time it's like, let's bring some people in to investigate this. Yeah. And who are we going to bring in? Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> See what he can deduce from this strange incident. And in this case, it is the headless town. Like, what 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 do you see in here? Yeah, and you got all the players. You got Guano. You got the the Mama, Max Immortal, who's also Daddy Max Immortal. I think it's just one character that grows junk and puss. Yeah, and of course, uh, as he starts to see that character, that's the end of our of our detective. Yeah, he's done. He's done. 
Now let's go to Slumberg, Pennsylvania, man, 1937. You know what? One note before we go on is that the, the narration is a little bit different in this chapter. And I pointed out because we're going to see a few of these like uh, different types of narration within the story. Yeah. And uh, it's another one I think of as like a Rick Veach formal choice, but mm -hmm. it keeps this story interesting and it gives us these different points of view yeah. from a comics language standpoint. And I right. think that stuff's really effective. Totally. So now let's go Siegel and Schuster. You know, this is like the many iterations of Superman from urban legend to, you know, creative piece of work, transcending that into movies and beyond. Uh, we have our Siegel and Schuster waiting in the offices, getting no time uh, from the publisher of these comics. We see the comics of the day, like what were the early DC comics, new fun comics yeah, right. and shit like that. It's also six panel grid, yeah. which we know these guys don't love the grid. So the choice to use the grid, I think, is a very deliberate formal choice. It's yeah. like we're getting into the comics business. So yeah, let's right. use this uh, static kind of classic layout. Yeah. Uh, the classic story, too, man. Like, you know, they, they're they into they're into adventure strips. They're going to try. They, they've gotten rejected at all the uh, syndicates. So, like, uh, comics are a new thing. Let's see what that's about. Poor guy has has a IBS, and the second that he wants to split is when uh, he gets invited by our old friend Ballis Wallace uh, to, you know, have a, have a conversation. Let's see what you have here, kids. It's funny how the guy's bowels uh, play into the story later. Yeah, it makes me think of Chester Brown. <laughs> <laughs> che Chekhov's colitis. Yeah, there you go. Don't introduce it here if you don't pay it off a little bit later. I like the uh, the juvenile division on his uh, window, too. Sure, because yeah. Because we're going to get into that, right? We'll get into some 1950s stuff in the comics history part later on. And that's sort of how, that's, you know, that's Martin Goodman. Like, he had a bunch of, like, magazines that he considered the, the upper echelon mm -hmm. shit at Magazine Management Company. And, like, the comics were the low-rung nonsense. Yeah, I think a lot of those early comics are that way, where it's just a division of another publisher. Sure. Sure, spinoffs of pulps and things. His the lettering for Wallace is that's a deliberate choice where it's smaller. It's smaller and it's not centered in the balloons. He's he gets a lot of air around the balloons. I only note that because it's uh, consistent and it's done. It bothers me that it's not centered in the balloon. Yeah, I, I like the smaller stuff. You know, it, it suggests whatever this guy's this. Maybe it's from the trauma, his physical trauma. Maybe he's Weasley. Whatever it is. You get a, an idea that his voice is a little different than everybody else's, but I don't know why it's not centered. Yeah, yeah. The only explanation is that this is not paste up lettering. He's doing doing it on the board, and he just you gotta you gotta sort of use imagination to figure out where where you know the, it'll lie in a balloon or something. Because I mean, it's just butted up at, at the top. So yeah, that's where it feels I think most awkward whenever you get it up against a uh, panel border. Sure. Sure. They make their agreements yeah, with, the, with the devil. It, it's so true. And in a weird way, I feel like I'm surprised this panel is just a small corner panel when it's like, that's it's everything. the point. I mean, yeah. that's your Faustian deal. That's what this comic, a big chunk of it's going to revolve around going forward. Yeah. Obviously a big part of comics history. And it's kind of a small moment. A lot of sympathy for uh, the Siegel and Schuster character, but, but uh, more given toward the writer. Mm -hmm. uh, in 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 this case, and I I only have a superficial knowledge of the Siegel and Schuster stuff. Like I don't know if the artist sold out 
his home he, to keep getting work and stuff. Yeah, I'm not aware of that. I feel like those guys left DC about the same time. You know, like I think their contracts were both up and that was it. Yeah, yeah, I, and, I, and I just know, don't know. The artist, uh, his vision was failing in real life, I mean. And I think that contributed to him leaving that position, I think. So so our guy with the with the guts, which continues the shit theme, right? Because right. we have El Guano as the, uh, he's enjoying his job, dude. <laughs> it makes yeah. me, like... Do proctologists get into their business for a certain uh, <laughs> certain reason beyond making money? It's that name, man. It's that name. <laughs> right. What else could he have done? Damien is a devil. All right, heading to Los Alamos. So now we're going to get into, like, atomic bomb development site. Absolutely. Some Oppenheimer gimmicks, man. 1943. And this is, like, you know, to this day, the idea of um, science fiction inspiring true scientific progress that's like your panel right there dude is you got you got this piece of imagination that's pretty far out but then you dial it back you know i i uh, this is an aside yeah but we i often am critical of like the super flat coloring you know we can do digital color now you could make this sky blue and it would just be a flat blue and it bothers me mm -hmm. look at how much different i mean it's all blue we're not getting a gradient the, the variation is just in the media that it's being applied with but it creates like a texture and a depth and a warmth yeah that you just don't get with the if, if you're using perfect digital coloring it's true which there's a place for perfect flat colors but it should be used like a tool you know it shouldn't be the default piece it shouldn't be a sky or a mountain you're right and here's another aside like we have our el guano guy and and like shit plays a part right and this pink lips around this hair, like, I mean, that is a blown out sphincter. Like, the lips are a sphincter to, to begin with. And he's really calling attention to that. Yes. Like, look at that right yeah. there. That looks, like, obscene. Like, like our Instagram image will get taken down if we, if we post that. All right, man, hooking some dude up with some inspiration. Yes, and it's, it's uh, Oppenheimer out in the middle of the desert having this encounter. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the shaman, like, the, the magic stuff we saw in the beginning with El Guano. Yeah. I feel like this is continuing that theme, and it really is like the magic and the science coming together in this in this uh, sequence. Yeah. So let's take a look at the uh, crown jewel yeah, once of he, uh, the Manhattan Project. Replaces his brains with shit. He's ready to go into this locked building that's been there the whole time, but he hasn't been curious enough to go in until now. We got an E.T., and they're making a mistake pulling that bastard out of the only thing that keeps him chilled out. Yeah. And it, talk about chilling. They pull him out and he wakes up and says, Mommy. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> Puts the hat of shit on El Guano. It's clearly kryptonite because it doesn't seem like it feels good to him with those ease. Stuffs him back in his little, uh, his little uh, shell. I feel like this might be the first time where we really see this kind of play <clears throat> using those... Lichtenstein kind of dots back in those days you know like it would be digitally done like I don't know how you would do this yeah it does look digital because if you follow the lines they're they're uh they're perfectly I see in line if you were cutting this out differently and like that's a different screen yeah. than the background but the lines are still parallel and it's cyan so I assume this is some sort of digital production it is Tundra, man. They could afford those $5,000 they, they did buy that one company, that printing output company. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what they got their money their money out of it. Back to Slumberg, PA, 1943. Our guys are, uh, are putting in that work. And all they ever wanted to do was make comics. But after about five, six, 
six years uh, to be exact of uh, doing the same thing and you read enough of those comics you know like when you get those whatever the DC Marvel Masterworks those hardcover things and you read you know you read one issue of a Superman comic and you realize like all of these stories are the same with very little variance that's what I when I did the Hulk Grand Design it's like the first I don't know 20 years there's not a lot of change it really is you could put those in any order almost and read them and it'd be fine yeah uh, this is establishing these that our guys got a job. They feel good about their job. They they have steady work, which is was very important to them. Certainly coming out of the Great Depression, it's a great thing to have a steady paycheck. But uh, the publisher doesn't let them know quite how successful they are. Sends them letters telling them with apologies that no royalty money is coming in. The the book isn't selling. It's not, it's not very popular. Yeah. Once again, I regret to tell you, it's actually lost money this year. Yeah. <laughs> and our, uh, here comes Trouble, by the way. Another cartoonist from another company shows up and he's like, let's go, uh, I'll buy you a drink, we'll talk about it. And whenever they go out, they meet these other cartoonists and they're all like, true man, biggest thing there is. <laughs> right. It's yeah. weird these guys don't put together like all the toys, all the cereals, all the stuff that it's not you know worth more because clearly it's the number one comic book and according to all of these dudes it launched the whole industry i can easily see how how that how that is possible because you're on your grind constantly there's no access to information beyond this kind of shit uh and you just have your head down working like i like working on like when hip-hop family tree was a weekly strip it's like it took me seven days a week to make to make that strip and then when i'm making the book that's sleepless nights now because I'm continuing the strip right. and making a book. I had no time for the outside world, man. Like afterward, like I realized like, oh, I saved a lot of money because I didn't go out or do anything. And these guys are in the 30s, so they, don't, they just have a radio to listen to or something. <laughs> yeah, when you say it that way, it makes more sense because even these other cartoonists who you'd think would be their peers, they're meeting them for the first time. Yeah. So clearly they're not not interacting too much out in the world and let's just say man we got uh, the guy who brings him to this little club it's it's a will eisner analog and we have us uh, i we have um a jack kirby guy we have lou fine fred kaido who would be part of the the eisner shop i don't know who that's alluding to everything you just said these guys are the are the biggest superstars in comics they don't even know it and on the way home they kind of they're dejected a bit they can't believe that they were lied to by their publisher as they walk by a store that's selling true man figures yes hottest toy of christmas they should be living like kings and walt disney's up there in the office with with his with the lights on so they're going to go confront him right away they got a little battery in their backs thanks to the 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 alcohols and stuff you want to go in the back i do i want to i want to point out I don't think you mentioned this but i mean kirby right we got a guy smoking a cigar there yeah 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 no i said kirby okay Jack Curtis. Yeah, they've got a couple drinks in them, so let's go up and, and talk to Ballas Wallace about little, our cut. Little liquid courage. <laughs> while we see that uh, Walt Disney here, man, he he is a full gangster. Totally. You know, like you set him off, he goes Joe Pesci on you. Yeah, that's and that's a poor letter. Getting the works. Getting a shine box, dude. Has his heavies with him. Has a gun. And, uh, you know, the feds are coming by now because of one of their recent stories of inspiration that the, that the fellas had mentioned something called an, an atom bomb. And they want to know where the fuck you got that information from. It's a little too close to uh, 
some stuff that that might be going on, man. You know, when Oppenheimer and those guys were 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 putting the pieces together, there's a there's enough that you can read about the whole situation where, uh, you know, they kept people away from one another while they were coming up with certain component pieces before they start to to merge it together to create the bomb. And another thing that they did over time was they would get, you know, very very bright college students that have some knowledge on nuclear fission or whatever and uh basically set them loose in in uh you know the the biggest library in new york or whatever and basically said can you reverse engineer the bomb with with the information that we had that's in this library and they said that people were able to and all of those books are were are noted so if you get that sequence of books it's on your dewey decimal card or whatever you know like your little library card you're going to get a knock at the door if you get those like seven or ten books uh, in some sort of uh, order. We have, uh, after after our little Fed encounter, which by the way, it gets a different color treatment. You know, it's more shadowy. You know, these are the shadow men. It's even Watchmen-esque with that purple. It is. Doing a secondary color on it. Yeah. And besides the uh, the whole investigation there, it's also this time whenever Wallace is like, by the way, we're going to start using uh, True Man for propaganda, war propaganda. Right. And our writer guy is a hippie, uh, and he's like, that, that just ain't going to happen. Uh, the writer confronts the artist and was like, dude, you're going to stick with me, man. This is, this, is a, this is now a labor action. You know, like, they can't have True Man without us. Uh, you're going to stick with me. And this is our Chekhov's colitis, because the, uh, the writer also has to go poop. And in the, in the time that he takes... To use the bathroom, our artist goes and sells them out. Yes. And it's beyond... Dude, It's we're we now in full-blown, like, Dr. Infinity, Dan Pussy territory, where our Dr. Infinity is like, well, we're going to have to cut you down. You might not get the, the, the same page rate. Yeah, lower... Maybe hire him back for a trial basis at a lower page rate. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, and one more thing. Who, who created True Man? gets the wrong answer ask him one more time it's so well paced who yeah. created true man motherfucker you got that you need that moment of silence because this is the recognition where our dude's like i now see what i have to do yeah i've sold i've sold all of my integrity <laughs> yeah yeah for a lesser page rate yeah and it's punishing to read this stuff just because again like if you're close to the comics history and you you know you're connected to the creator side of it there's so many bad stories yeah yeah and and you know persists to this day like this this dude would be selling out his his co-collaborator on twitter right now <laughs> if it was uh the in the 2020s hiroshima japan august 6 1945 a familiar date establishing this full civilization, such a such a good panel because it just like really sells mm -hmm. like what is going to be destroyed. It's nice to see it in color too. I think that that helps. Mm -hmm. You know, having your greens and your purples and everything yeah, being lush. like a nice color for a city. You give yourself a blue sky in a moment like yes. this. The Enola Gay coming by, ground level, just so well painted. All the right images, dude. Because it's like we get God image of the town at whole. So that's your macro. You get ground level, but still pushed away from any individual. And just see that you do have a bustling, thriving culture here. Like, like we still don't have street lamps that beautiful. Right. You know what I mean? They got their shit going on. And now we just back keep getting closer and closer on the with people. With everybody. 
with everybody. Now we got our guys who are going to pull the hatch, and now we're, we have we have a family moment with generations of a family. What three, maybe four generations? Yeah, a lot of life there. You're eating. You're seeing the the, the babies and the older generations. And uh, this is another one of Veach doing interesting narrative stuff, you know, because those side, all the text there, it's a couple of people talking. Uh, Oppenheimer, Truman, I guess uh, Marshall, you know, a, a local guy here. It's it's just great storytelling. Yeah. You know, foreshadowing the future. We got the death sequence. We have the impending plane. And uh, what is that one bomb called? Little Boy. Yeah. How about so this let's, reading into history and applying that to your story? So let's be literal. There you have it. You know what, I, I I don't see a ton of difference between our black and whites and our colors, but I've been wanting to show them off just because like the color, the, the black and white line work looks so good. And yeah. the color is very strong, but man, it works well in black and white. And I, for one, don't always think that's the case. That's another yeah, issue that's, 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 uh, right there. How cool. You know, almost going to the black and white in the color version. Yeah. Good way to show heat. There you have your sign off. Push the boy back into, back into his shell basically. And uh, we had our establishing shot with that main kind of citadel, that guild hall or whatever. Here's what's left of it. Go back one more page. We go from like a lot of organic stuff to a very geometric straight kind of thing. Do you think that's a comment from an art standpoint of going from like what they just did is unnatural. Right. And as a result, it's very man-made horizontals and verticals in the, in the art. I'll buy it. Fuck. Why not? It's one of those things I see in a lot of the work that I love, not just comics, anything where it's like, was this intentional? Yeah. Or is this this happy accident that comes out of a, someone who's really trying and working and processing this on subconscious levels? You know, it, it always makes me wonder whenever stuff feels like it's in support of the overall story and themes. Yeah. But can you plan all of this? Right. Thumbs up. You know, we did good. Speaks to the propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. The Marshall Islands, 1945. And, uh, our writer of Superman, Homeboy got drafted. That's right. That was something else that came up in that little conversation with the feds is how uh, Wallace had been protecting them from the draft. Yeah. Well, once you decide to threaten uh, threaten litigation, guess what? I'm not going to be able to help you, man. Send them to the front lines. You're going. And this is just like the, one of those very humiliating things where our writer who created this, this source of love and inspiration for so many people is fucking painting the decks with with uh, hayseeds and little hillbillies and shit they're showing straight up newsreels that are buttressed with Fle fleischer brothers <clears throat> cartoons yeah. of tr of true man with sydney wallace with that great fucking uh walt, walt disney signature uh this whole time this guy has been saying he's the creator of this and that uh and nobody believes him and they doubly don't believe him when you see it up on the screen speaks to propaganda you see it on tv it must be true great use of text and image together where it's like integrity and the american dream after everything we've seen and what we know about this just punishment pure punishment and here's a good example of black and white this last panel where you see a spectacular sky painted in there work. it's not even drawn you know like even the indication of the, the clouds and stuff not even drawn so uh, you know probably directed by by veach but you see a lot of color work happening there. All right, man. Ooh, we're going to get into something fun here where we switch our left and right pages. Uh, so in the trade paperback, we've got a left for that first page of this chapter. 
now comes the logical piece that you can imagine with uh, with the feds where like let's reverse engineer this guy's like what gives this guy power because what would be better than just having one of him or the power of one of him let's have more gotta have more gotta be able to do this again to to let the uh the russians know that we've got this thing our boys coming back from uh, his tour of duty the war is over and now cosmo publishing just to rub it right in your face gets a big true man treatment with the uh, decor of the actual building facade and we see Spiegel there as an as a uh, mailman which there's some truth to that there history. is yeah yeah work in the mailroom for dc comics I although think. is it schuster that was the mailman i, I can't remember which of them was the mailman I, one of those two guys allegedly delivered mail to the dc office i don't know who the writer is and who the artist yeah. i that's just always it never sticks in my head you get your big Chairman Mao freaking portrait of uh, your your humble publisher. Yes. How interesting is it now to think of like Marvel Comics being a Walt Disney production at this point? Yeah. With with what Veach is laying down in the early nineties. Right. There's your art department, just a sweatshop of dudes drawing True Man strips. The style guides are amazing. I I I feel like I remember seeing like a Walt Disney like something exactly like this, where it pointed out the swoops and the how to make the circles and stuff on the, on the Disney. I've, I've seen that This would be a image. super weird thing to make up. Right. Like, you'd almost have to know that, that the signature is one of the things you got to learn to put in there if you're working for them. Yeah. Our writers delivering uh, a package to, to the artist who's working on, quote-unquote, special projects. They just have him relegated in some little closet. He's not sequestered away from the other artists. Uh, he he looks worse for the wear. For sure. Uh, certainly in this color. I mean, this there's jaundice setting oh, yeah, in. he's not doing well great panel layout like how much is in between these two guys Completely used to work split. side by side and now there's a giant in between them yeah literally and it's their guy that separates them good looking golden age comic with those poppy colors uh not far from your lb cool uh, color palette i would say yeah touched up some of that stuff changed the signature right <laughs> getting disrespected by by like the younger people in the crowd that that um that can be a Kirby illusion in 70s Marvel the disrespect that he endured uh, at Marvel people make fun of his pages on Eternals and Black Panther and stuff because they just wanted more of the same kind of a, a wild story is uh well I guess it's the next page I'm on a I'm on a spread yeah, but as Wallace barking. explains that he has this history with this character yeah you know that he's looking for uh basically payback for uh, costing him his balls all those years ago and we see that's not a lie like right. like when you read the first issue this is where stuff gets a little because like who did create the thing did did maybe he did massage it is that what you're saying like uh because he he had an interaction with the character he absolutely did it is the character maybe he did create it it does feel like there's some concepts here about where do ideas come from yeah and, and you hear a lot of this talk and i think around this time i can remember alan moore talking about this idea where like our brains are our most receptors for the equivalent of radio waves or yeah. some kind of wave yeah, 100 monkeys right and and i think you see some of those ideas on the page here which really muddles the idea of what are we looking at what mm -hmm. is this a history of the other thing is wallace as this continues is going to go in a stan lee direction as he goes to california looking right. for like the movie version of these characters um so the arcs aren't ob i don't think they're totally obvious it's not one for one but right. but, but like he represents like all the shyster you know he's jack lebowitz he's mort weisinger he's walt disney 
Uh, he's um, Stan Lee. I think I think he like they introduced. It's, it's commercial art too, and it's very clear how much it's commercial art throughout this. If if they wouldn't have introduced a Will Eisner analog character, he could have been a representative of that also. But Veach uh, introduced an Eisnerian character uh, in that meetup sequence. So now we're going to Hollywood. Here here is your Stan Lee uh, elements, and then and now we're going to build in the George Reeves you know, black and white Superman uh, character, this down and out actor who would just show up as a guest star. He was like the Leonardo DiCaprio once upon a time in Hollywood kind of character showing up yes. on shows, getting fucked up, being the bad guy, full on drunkard. And uh, I think it takes a couple of a, a tries for him to get his shit together until he meets Mama Maximortal, who kind of... Uh, adds to that inspiration for the character and then he takes it insanely serious to the point where his co-stars who who are gonna who wanna eventually you know catch him catch him uh with his pants down he won't even bust that thing out he won't knock the dust off it dude he's like nah I'm pure now I lift weights every day <laughs> I take my vitamins and I say my prayers brother that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> It always reminds me, I, I can remember reading, uh, or maybe hearing Mike Mignola talk about, like, on the set of the first Hellboy, talking to Ron, Ron Perlman in full Hellboy makeup in the middle of Budapest or wherever they filmed right. that thing. And it reminds me of that a little bit, seeing what's supposed to be uh, an actor now all dressed up as Max Immortal and living the gimmick. Yes, and I think George Reeves did have a tragic... He had an E-True Hollywood story, so I imagine that his demise was tragic. I don't think that he was dressed up in a Superman outfit standing on train tracks. But this is how we get him out of the yeah. story right away. And it feels like a little bit... It makes sense in the context of the story. It's not built in too early or anything like that. So I feel like this might be one of those moments where you allow some liquid in your narratives where you, if you get an idea, you, you put a piece in there. Because it doesn't feel shoehorned. It makes sense for it to be here. But it feels like something that could have come later in, in Veach's mindset. Yeah. Because it doesn't bear much fruit like going forward. Really. You know, just as a narrative detail i feel like he does a really good job of catching that oddness of like like a real life like yeah. he's an actor portraying these fantastic characters right it's pretty interesting to me especially now that like every single comic seems to have movies and, and actors playing them there's something surreal about this part i like that i like this sequence a lot sure yeah i do as well it creates another one of those uh pieces where our guy when he was in the barracks and shit saw that fleischer brothers cartoon and that's one thing and now it's the same image of the writer catching it on the big screen. And even in when we were kids, television was lower rung than TV. And cable was even lower. You know, like there was the Cable Ace Awards. You don't even get an Emmy if you're on Larry Sanders' show. <laughs> right. Um, I love that depiction of like the film projector. Yeah. It's almost like the sun or something, you know. Totally. In, in today's world, I feel like that's one of those antiquated pieces. You know, like I'll have nostalgia for the old movies, movie theaters like that. Yeah. Still researching our our guy, trying to reverse engineer him a bit, and uh, the 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 daddy doctor man, he's obsessed, and they sell that. This is one of those great examples where we were looking at that Venom comic, and it was like Venom is like telling you his whole origin mm -hmm. inside of his thought balloons. And we were really harshing on like show don't tell. We're selling you the character of Oppenheimer, and he is obsessed. And this is what matters to him the most. Literally, his family is here. The boy has a broken wrist. It's not a boo boo. 
has a broken wrist and he's like listen i'm at a critical stage and mom like to try to like be a good mom is like just hold it tight real close to your body and and we'll take you to a hospital after i love the lettering build of this panel yeah it, it reads so well like you talk about with the no talking confusion. head kind of stuff yeah. with, with like the venom again using that as your example where it's just exposition on on exposition this is such a thoughtful graphic treatment it really is It's almost like you're going deeper and deeper into max immortal as you read those captions and you're not confused like like i'm not reading this and then reading this no. there's no confusion there the hand on the little um the focus machine whatever mm -hmm. uh that's a panel in, unto it itself is. in totally. between these two captions this bottom piece is a panel so you are reading it in a different way than you are trained to read and it is completely clear do you think that he repaginated the, the book collection intentionally? Because I feel like those two as a spread, phenomenal. Yeah. And it's funny, I'm looking at our overhead, and it's almost like the Hulk eye goes into, the, right. into our eyeball. But as a spread, it works really well in the book, and I wonder if that's an intentional part on uh, on Veach's you know, book collection. We need to get him on the show again to talk 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 comics with us, man. He, he agreed to go through some stuff with us, so we got to figure out what that would be. There's one of your first in a comic panel use of that blow up and also do like show us those dots the, the, and the grain of the paper. And if you look, those dots are not in a straight line like that's a hand colored yeah. effect that, that's happening there. Yeah, really cool. And now for those keeping track at home, we're back to our same pagination. Yes. OK, cool. <laughs> El Guano, man, he's got a Mego figure. <laughs> he's a Mego collector. And this is this is like one of those mystical things, right? Like where mm -hmm. you take the totems of, you know, like this is a, a rabbit paw and this is the hair of a witch and you're adding it to your stew. Yeah, it's cool. The caption, <laughs> the one, the one who has since made his image known to all who walk the earth, referring to the true man figure, really kind of cool ideas of almost like creating gods. I just realized that true man really does have just like straight up BVDs, Fruit of the Loom, white, tidy, <laughs> tidy whiteies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you pull back, I mean, it's hysterical. When you pull back, it's not like a witch's cauldron or whatever. It's a stock pot that you get at Target. That's what I make my uh, deadline soup in, by the way, man. <laughs> yields yields tw 21 mils. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week. Also, El Guano sh sitting on the, uh, on the pot in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> the chamber pot. Oh, and, and, and continuing to add ingredients yes, to the stew. Is. Yes, he is. This is great stuff. Yeah, this is uh, this is Rick Veach allowing for very little symbolism. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's letting you know. He's letting you know, and he's also, I think, cutting a promo on these shitty corporate superhero comics. Exactly. Right? Like they're going into the same pot of shit. He's making the super shit, and guess what? Ingredients are part True Man comics and toys. Yeah, so so he on one hand he's saying he's saying that, but uh, in his career, like he, him, like Alan Moore, like he's revisited Superman mythos a lot of times. You right. know, it's very interesting. Like he has a reverence. It probably there's that vestigial like childhood like fanboy part where he like adores that character you know he would have been the perfect age to be watching George Reeves shows and shit but then when you gain awareness and you realize like how fucked those guys were for their you know 150 bucks that they got in 1939 and how fucked they were with their court cases and not, and not being taken care of and and you know Neil Adams had to beat his chest to get these guys 30k a year which probably stayed 30k even in you know yeah. 1990 you think about like uh you know people will sue over like psychological damage or whatever psychological like suffering pain 
think of what those guys went through in real life for decades yeah. of saying, I created Superman, people being like, what are you talking about? Your yeah. name's not on the book. You live in, in a shack. Right. You, you know, like you were just the deranged person, the, the, the your mind had gone. Right. You know, the crazy old man up the street that's raving about being Superman's creator. Yeah. Like just punish, that's a punishing way to go through life. Full arcs with these characters, man. The writer who was trying to do everything he could as a kid to not work in his dad's yes. uh, clothing shop, his tailor shop, whatever you call it, man. Guess what? It's called Spiegel and Son now. You see it on the masthead of, of, of this window and he is there fucking trimming and cutting. Cutting and sewing. Yeah, and he, it and wanders in. And he's making a goddamn true man. Oh, so so it's course. just, let's put all the salt in the wounds. Costume for marketing and promotion, but but uh, I think it's also noteworthy of just like the merchandising of like Ben Cooper costumes and think like what kid didn't run around in their like you know S Spider-Man costume. My my kid sister, man, like she got a muscly Spider-Man costume when she was a kid. She wore it until she grew out <laughs> of it. That's so awesome. Yeah, the uh, it's hard not to see trademark in your TM. Absolutely. Just I mean, very intentional. Over. Yeah, mm -hmm. very intentional, very important. You know, you mentioned these guys doing a lot of um, Superman kind of, I don't know, reference throughout their work. If you think about the breakdown of the superhero genre, like in a way, that's your that's where you got to start. Like you almost sure. have to have that, that character and the analog of that character if you're really going to investigate the genre. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man, we're into the 50s, so you know what that means. We got to get our Frederick Wortham, uh, Bill Gaines gimmick into the, the the mixture here and that's what we're building toward and if you are not familiar somewhat with comics history is this book a tough read for you oh dude first off you ain't finding this outside of the comic shop so so like you're a comic head if you're picking up max immortal uh but to answer your question yeah sure sure of course but he knew his audience he knew his audience man and here's here's our dr wortham frederick warthumb giving his spiel all of our guys. And by the way, look at the characters, man. Midnight Mink and Chippy. Mm -hmm. I always did think Midnight Mink and Chippy were a little queer. We'll see that explored in Brat Pack. Yeah, and we heard that, this story uh, at Heroes this year about Mort Meskin working in the Kirby's, <laughs> Simon Kirby shop, right. and drawing completely naked women in one of the stories to submit to the comics code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Simon and Kirby are like, there's no way we, we, we even bother showing this to the club you know you pay your dues you got to pay a, a fee to get the stamp on it and then mort meskin in the other portfolio pulls out the final strip with clothed figures and things just kind of that's a, that's an expensive prank because <laughs> because of the time involved sure. the labor involved that's a lot of you know free pages that you're drawn to kind of make make jack nervous yeah so uh before our bill gaines guy goes to the senate subcommittee hearings He's got to take a couple of his uh, diet pills. The unfortunate thing about those hearings and what is like left to history, it's the same video mm -hmm. sequence and it's a transcription. So like it's a video sequence like at this level, you know, my dad created the first, the comic, you know, I started horror comics. And then uh, that's the only video sequence we've ever seen that's ever been like let out and transcriptions of the explanation of the severed head panel are like the other part and in a lot of ways like it doesn't seem that bad like when when uh bill gaines is doing the talk he seems very cogent to me in the video that you see so it must have really taken a tumble in this like black space 
yeah. that we don't have access to. Because I see how they tripped him up with the bullshit with the with the severed head and and all that, um, having to admit the the goriness of it or whatnot. But you know, it doesn't seem that big of a deal. Yeah, he's like, we could have angled the head so you could see the neck bleeding or made her tongue hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is almost verbatim, That's I think. That's a great drawing. I love that drawing. Thick wetness. Porridge. Yes. Yeah, sweat was always... Uh, these were the early days of me seeing sweat drawn in comics like this, like not the sweat bead icon comic oh, yeah. coming off. And it's <laughs> it's effective. Yes. Absolutely, man. And our guys are very, uh, very upset. This We're kind doomed. of stuff informed, you know, because I'm, I'm reading this when I'm 14, 15, something like that. Reading some wizards, some comic scenes, a little bit of comics history that I could come across, but I didn't have access to too much. So when you would see any kind of reference, like I didn't know this story well at the time, right. but it would point me down that rabbit hole. So when you would get an article on Frederick Wortham or on the comics code, even in Wizard, it would inform a lot of my knowledge of sure. this stuff. And then the other half is like guys like Frank Miller who were just raging against that kind of censorship even 30 years after the comics code comes into effect. Yeah. It, it was weird to piece together history through some comics, some articles, some creators, and just try to understand what this stuff is. One of the reasons I wanted to, to, uh, to do Maxim Mortal this week uh, was because this is a comic for comic heads. Yeah. And we have nothing but comic heads. Almost 70,000 comic heads visiting the, the, the channel at any given time. Uh, so if you are not familiar with, uh, the Mac, with Maxim Mortal like if this doesn't inspire you to like check it out and investigate a little deeper like nothing will these panels are amazing because like the previous page had one where they're talking about like man they're making us out sound like we're pornographers right and then you cut to like uh wallace is the next guy that's going to take the stand and his solution is let's introduce this comics code which he calls comics commandments and now they're equally up in arm yelling about censorship and we fought a war to stop this kind of crap yeah it's a kirby guy who says that part too man I've enjoyed Veach's lettering throughout this issue, oh, and yeah. now we get to see all of his bold italics as like, okay, dudes are up in arms and yelling. Yes. The artist, man, who created True Man, like, is just getting sicker and sicker. That's a great drawing, too. Some of these close-up faces are amazing. Getting skinnier, more gaunt, doubling over. I love the little piss and vinegar Kirby guy. He almost draws him with a Kirby style here. Yeah, I thought that too, like in the him yelling is pretty animated too. Yeah. Yeah, with a four short like finger. Little Kirker is probably squared at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is an important moment, man, because our guy is just, I mean, he's coughing blood. The writer's more healthy. And this is a moment where he's like, you know what? I'm fucking done. Like, it, it's over with you guys. This panel, there were a couple earlier too. I love that idea of putting the gigantic building sized true man in these panels and then whenever you see the creators they're so small next to yeah. it he does it a few times throughout it's a great visual and you see it again here where they're just like don't look back right you know there, there's some i think klaus is one of the best at doing like the images connected to the text and having them say different things so like if you're reading it and then you look at the image it's like almost a disconnect or, or they change the meaning of each other. Veach does it a lot in this book, very effectively. You know, I'm glad you brought both both names up in, in the same sentence, basically, man, because because I was trying to think, like, like where does Veach land on, like, my Mount Rushmore? And I, in the past, I think I called him, like, a top 10 guy to me, and, and that's just not the case. He's a top five guy to me with the comics that he makes, especially when he's doing everything himself. And I position him near, like, near Klaus and stuff. 
the genre stuff speaks to me because of like my love of superheroes and like what I came up with. So like that sort of edges them up in a certain certain way. There's there's a similar level of quality to me. This shit is not as pretty and precise and pristine as a Dan Clow's image, but the way this stuff reads and the wordplay with words and pictures, uh, it works, man. It works really well. And in, in terms of it not being as pretty, I mean, I think some of that is is almost. Um, I he think just, it's subjective. Is that, but, that way. but it's a different, you know, it's a different uh, subject matter. It is. It is. And, and he's leaning towards the subject matters that he likes. Like we Definitely. asked him, we asked him, Rick, what are the top comics? And he's, you know, New, uh, New God Seven. Right. You know, like that won't be a Klaus answer. I was going to say, like, you see those those uh, Kirbyisms too in this art over and over. Yeah. All right. We got Oppenheimer and Einstein working on some shit. Trying to figure this boy out. It's so bizarre. Comic book science. <laughs> that's right. His microwave eyeballs come from a, a heart that's four four times the size of a normal person. I like the idea that they want they want Oppenheimer to kill him. Yeah. Because it kind of makes sense. It does. Like it, it, I'm sure if you had a situation like this, some people that's what they're going to be pulling for. Yeah. And it has to be on the table for something like that. So is this the last time we'll get to see El Guano? <laughs> More or less. <laughs> After he created a shit golem. This is pretty cool. Knowledge is belief. Belief is reality. It makes more sense today than it did in 1993. It's a cool thing, too, where we just dealt with science, and now we're dealing with magic. Yeah, and Einstein, as he's leaving, is like, if it's what I think it is, then beware. Such a thing will not be easily killed. Yes. We saw the true man on the, on the slab, and now we're looking at his creator with, you know, the chest busted open, heart stuff shit pumping out of his system somebody worked him to death is, yeah is the autopsy or the doctor's uh opinion there and our old guy our writer fella is like fuck this forever and just start stripping down got that great daniel dryberg That's night exactly owl what I was thinking. portly portly body type throws on the true man and leaves the doctor's office and this is the era where doctors smoked <laughs> See a cigarette hanging out his jibs. <laughs> Let's wrap things up, Jimmy. It's all building toward this moment. It's a great... Hey, that's a great panel ending, too. There's been a great injustice committed. It needs my immediate attention. Sounds like a superhero talking. Totally. I think this is the first image of Max Mortal I saw because it is in that Palmer's Picks with uh, with Rick Veach. And if it's not the a specific Rick Veach Palmer's Picks, it's like, I'm Tom Palmer and I'm reading this right now type part where and it shows this also how isn't that everybody's like icon and, and anything that's around icon <laughs> this should be it especially if you're blonde and have uh caligula like <laughs> hairstyle that's right <laughs> here it is dude this is that one page fucking all-star superman where there's like four words on the page grant morrison origin piece so here you go man it's the lifespan of uh our maximum mortal figure true man Got to make it a part of King Hell Heroica. So we got, we got our uh, bad guy. What's his name? Doctor Blasphemy. That's it. Yeah. Talk about an iconic character design. Absolutely. One of the greats. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that mask. You, you don't forget that mask. And this is a this is a True Man comic, basically, right? Like that's what we're in. And this is the stuff. This is the boy stuff. This is what gets explored in the uh, Boy Max Immortal work that Veach is working on at this at this moment it has three volumes of this on 
Amazon that you guys need to scoop up. And Dr. Blasphemy sends him off into space with the, uh, what are you then? Surely not a man. And he can't answer that. Drives him almost crazy. And off he goes, fleeing this scene. Uh, you know, truth to power kind of thing for Dr. Blasphemy. Right. Very cool. Uh, I would think about Supreme whenever I yeah. read this the first sure. time. Because Supreme, if you read then DC, it was volume two. And that story, volume two, starts with Supreme coming back to Earth right. after some time away. Right. And it's the same. That conceit part is the same as, as this idea or yeah. the end of Brad Pack. Yeah. Look at our golem, dude. It's like no longer fully fecal. <laughs> yeah, there's alchemy at play here. <laughs> Look at our pool. You know what it is? It's like, it's like as he wastes away, this becomes yes. more vital. And there he is, full-on guano. He's back. And that's uh, Clark Kent's mom right there, right? Yes. Interacting with uh, Ballas Wallace. All origin shits to get us to modern-day Oppenheimer. Yeah, and is this a is this a reuse of the original panel? Yeah, that's a good question. Because the lettering is very small in it. It certainly looks like now we now we're having comic book panels as like what's going on in the in the store. You know what I mean? Like the comic book is bleeding over. Yeah, yeah. You find out, man, because the lettering is still that Ballas Wallace lettering and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. like I don't remember reading it that way. Like seeing noticing that the first time, but that's also an introduction to. Ballas Wallace. So I'll keep filibustering and keep rocking. Ballas Wallace. No, it's great. <laughs> so we're all, you know, we're we're thrust into modern day. All the concerns that our Walt Disney fella uh, is dealing with in the modern day, post A bomb. It's a media blitz, all of that, and we have our writer fella who's showing up. So what's what's the, what's the conceit, man? Is it is it? Uh... This is the panel, and people can kind of judge a little bit at home. I think it's the same panel. Oh right, yeah, there's. I think there's no doubt. Everything lines up, even the word, the lettering breaks and stuff. Yeah. Jimmy, our writer, showing up to the offices of DC Comics, and he's in a costume. It's one of those things too, where where you can't take that guy seriously. It's like, dude, we fucking hosed you before. We showed you what we think of you already, man, and now you're showing up with a with a hairline getting pushed back, with a dad bod, and wearing tights. Like, you did us a favor. Like, you confirm our suspicion. Like, we were right. It was good that we got rid of you, man. The way that shadow looks, it looks like he's wearing one of those fake glasses with the with nose the mustache. and the mustache. Yeah, totally. He's got um, the groucho. Love this juxtaposition of going from comics come clean to the very next panel where we see our guy Spiegel's, like, outside and coming clean is going to be the opposite of what's happening here. Yeah, he's going He's going. Chris Ware's Superman uh, in the pages of Maximum Mortal here. This is where things start to get real wild, man. Trying to explain this easily is uh, where I might need a lot of your help uh, in this mixture, dude. Because we got a lot of cutting back and forth. We have the Oppenheimer project trying to reverse engineer this cat, hit him with some beams, and I, and and they they do kill him. Like, is that what we're dealing with? He's gone. Well, he would be gone if not for that golem outside. Right. And and that's what a. a a vessel of pure belief that his, uh, I don't know, electrical charge goes into. It's abstract and it's strange in the sense of if that figure's not there, is that the end of Max Immortal? Did they right. successfully kill him? Right. And we know that this is Max Immortal because of the eyes. You know, we've seen that. <laughs> now we got J. Edgar Hoover showing up. Yeah, this is this is all bad news. And look at the formula, dude. Reality equals belief times consciousness squared. That's awesome. 
feel like that's a Grant Morrison tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of Robert Anton Wilson getting read by those fellas. Yeah. That uh, trembling with the shock of the new. I remember having a 20th century art history book called Shock of the New. Might have even been like the second half of the 20th century, so like postmodernism kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> our guy, uh, our writer fella, he can't even kill himself right. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Getting netted by the cops. That feels like something out of a Predator movie. There's like balls of weight that, that propel him back through the window yeah, safely. Right. Yeah, totally. And And so like, you failed at your like little suicidal ideation and the the cops like plunge it through that glass so now you're also cut up a bunch and then they got to strip them and shit and what happens when you do something like that and, and take up tax dollars like you, you got to go to prison or like a you got to get 5150 at least right so he's getting that shock treatment yeah and uh the, the the goons peeling off his costume are like he shit his pants you don't pay me <laughs> enough for this oh right man it's continuing his ibs right stuff. as if all of it's not embarrassing enough they're gonna march him out of here naked with with crap all over himself <laughs> yeah it's a bummer and then we get a good look at uh mama maxim mortal showing up and what and what happens here what are we looking at here you tell me. <laughs> you know, like, like that's the thing is, I don't know what happens here. I'm not positive how this is, you know, exactly meant to be read. Like, now do we have two ideas of Max Immortal floating around? Because we see him in kind of his comic book uh, kid, you know, form. What's the date on this, man? Is this, is this pre-Death of Superman? Yes, I, I think so, right? 1993 mm -hmm. is pre-Death. It was 94? I think so. Was Death... Because, uh, like, is the idea, like, you know... Might have been 93. Ideas never die. I don't know. These properties will never die. If it is post-Death of Superman, it would be very clear and easy. It's like, it will not die. Something this big cannot die. And, and maybe that is what's happening here, because, like, that vessel now is abandoned, right? Right. So it's like it's manifested itself. I don't know, man. It's, it's really strange. And... I thought that, like, the publisher was part of what disappears here, right? You know, like, yeah. a couple pages ago, it seems like they disintegrate right. whenever Max Immortal comes in. You know, like, like this sequence. Like, now he's alone. Spiegel's alone. Wallace is gone. Wallace's goons are gone. I thought they were somehow, like, okay, absorb this energy. Storytelling piece. But we see them again, so that's not quite what happened there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a storytelling issue. Like... If they were still in the room, Vich could have established that in, in that panel. Because it did look very solitary. Yeah, and we see Wallace here. You know, he's shouting out victory, right? Like, uh, the the FBI goons are like, call Hoover, we got a code four. And Wallace is like, you're looking at the guy who sewed up the rights to the second coming. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting, again, nod back to Superman character. Because there have been a lot of ideas about Superman being sort of a Jesus analog. It's also, you know, this is the publisher. Like, he's going to be all right. And in real life, like, like these publishers, they are the winners. They're absolutely the winner. The creative guys are toast. You know, our Kirby-esque hand here is he's saying, ain't nobody bigger than that. And he, he's not the deity, he's the guy who's going to sell the deity. Yeah. You know, it's um, you it's, know, it's, it's the super preacher. Televangelist. Tell yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Lest we forget that this is part of King Hell Heroica. We've got our Max Immortal character. 
very, very eerie to see what the Wonder Woman type chick looks like uh, in color here. <laughs> but we got all our guys. And there is a Max Immortal Brat Pack uh, one-shot, at least. Like, I have that comic. I think there's two of them. And I, I think there may even be up to, up to four. The fourth one might be on its way based on Back Matter and Boy Max Immortal. Okay. And uh, back in Tungus, Siberia, we get to see... Uh, it's it's a thematic mirror thing. That, that mammoth that got... That mammoth that got uh, unearthed from the glacier... If you notice in panel in the first issue, it was up on some big skewers or whatever, like a spit roast. Yes. And it was discovered by that like Russian fella mm -hmm. who's a skinny little twerp that ain't going to be doing that. So we see, but he was eating the meat to imply that he may have did it, but no. Well, that, that's what she says, right? Uh, whenever that guy comes to investigate, she'll feed him frozen mammoth and then have, his, have her way with them yeah. to immediately conceive an embryo and give birth to, to herself. Right. And let the philosophers argue over which came first, the chicken or the egg, Beautiful. which is kind of what we're doing here. Exactly. Um, it makes for a real fun story because it is this cycle. And I'm a big fan of those kinds of stories that, that are almost a circle. Yeah. And that fits in with Einsteinian philosophy and stuff like that. Yeah, there's an afterword in your uh, trade paperback here that I didn't get in, in mine. Yeah. And it's um, pretty interesting some of the stuff that I'm reading here, just, just quickly, the idea that if, if the word didn't already exist, the modern industrial era would have had to invent one like it to describe itself, talking about like like super Superman. Right. Um, which is, just reading that sentence gives me a little bit more insight into like the story mm -hmm. and the structure of this idea that like, was Superman something that shows up or was Superman something that was a, almost an industrial age byproduct? Right, right. So sort of like that thing you were talking about with... Um with with the 100 monkeys kind of theory because we have the Nietzschean idea of Ubermensch and everything that came with that that wasn't that far before super, uh the superman creation so like it was the time it was the time for there to be a uh realized superman in, in some form or fashion but uh fantastic comic and before we get out of here i just want to point everybody once again to the boy max immortal stuff that rick veach has been putting out uh, pretty consistently probably one book a year uh, uh, since covid of this boy max immortal material 100 page books or so you get a very substantial boy max immortal piece and a lot of great back material with uh, commissions i really veach has done hundreds of pages of superhero comics when he was a kid i want that full collection man that's amazing of that man. stuff i want all of this man so rick if you if you can just scan all that stuff in make a book out of it <laughs> give it send us a pdf if you're not ready to publish that yeah please please i would love to enjoy that material there's some really great back matter in here yeah. i don't know if the um because i think you can buy this on amazon yes. self-published and hopefully that afterward is still in there it's really interesting because it's like a rumination on superheroes yeah and how they they seem to be part and parcel of the 20th century and according to that back matter or his his afterward he believes the world has kind of changed from that so like where do you go from here with the genre yeah it's good stuff man yes the the beauty of rick veach dealing with dc getting burnt on stuff and the proliferation of creator rights being an issue he he owns a lot of his material and he could keep it in print that way and uh disseminate his comics any way he likes and he's choosing to do it through this uh, Amazon uh, kind of print-on-demand model where you go through there and 
you know, he doesn't have to carry stock in his house. He doesn't have to put out thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on very expensive uh, trade paperbacks, have them warehouse in his own space, figure that part out, and send you the, the work. So he's trying a very, uh, very cool model. Had some talk with him. I think, I think Kyle Baker was using a very similar model where you serialize the stuff like using those print on demands and then you go to a big publisher for the final big book it's a model i'm very interested in and i want the kayfabe audience to support this guy's work a lot uh grab these new max immortals certainly if you dug our little walkthrough on the og max immortal miniseries scoop that one up uh but this is all new material um this boy max immortal stuff and you should get your hands on it yeah i mean i highly recommend it for fans of grant morrison's of uh alan moore's because they're ideas. It's really hard, I think, to write narratives that, that focus so much on ideas. That stuff can be horrible to read. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it can be done very wrong. And I read this and I kind of marvel at, like, I don't even know how you conceptualize something like this. Right. Which is very exciting as a reader and fellow creator to kind of, like, see that and put your head in that space. Totally cool, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Dude, if you're good to go, I'm yes. good to go. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, what's out there? Hulk Grand Design Monster Madness is in comic shops now. Two oversized issues. Hulk Grand Design, the treasury size collection, is not coming out until January. I now hear, okay. but you can pre-order that now. And you know what, man? You got to turn. You got to find a silver lining in this stuff. So I wish the book were out in its original date in September. But since it's not, it means let's sell more of them. Let Marvel know that the Grand Designs and the single creator comics are viable. So if you haven't pre-ordered Hulk Grand Design, do that now wherever you buy books. Uh, Street Angel Deadly Squirrel Live back in print. You can get that wherever you find comics and you can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see a lot more of my work. Red Room Trigger Warnings is out in stores now. Scoop it up. Thank you guys so much for supporting it. It is, uh, as of the last checking, it was the number one dystopian graphic novel on, on uh, Amazon. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. Every uh, story in here is self-contained, which means that this book is self-contained. So uh, scoop it up in conjunction with uh, the Antisocial Network. If you're new to the series, you can scoop it up without requiring you to check out the original. But if you like the new one, give the original a shot. I'm serializing new Red Room material on my Patreon as well. And there's going to be uh, fresh comics that are not Red Room that are going to be serialized on uh, the Patreon uh, as well. Uh, because I'm wrapping that up. I got two more issues of Red Room to do uh, for this like next volume. Uh, three bucks get you the archive there. And I appreciate you supporting our projects that way. Jimmy, what else do we have out there? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merch at our spread shop at the link below this video. Another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Give them those marching orders, dude. We'll be on our way. Read more comics.